Okay, let's go ahead and get started, if we could, please. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ to study your word and to uh, hopefully gain understanding. Father, we ask that your spirit would illumine our minds and show us the truth and help us to understand the words that Ezekiel wrote so long ago. We thank you for the privilege we have to uh, study the word, to openly discuss it and talk about it. Lord, we pray that uh, all that we do this day in this place would be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is week number 42 in our study. Um, We're over in chapter 45 of Ezekiel. And last week, we, um, we looked at these verses briefly that we'll start with this morning, uh, down in verse 18. But what we did see in you know, last time was, you remember the land that we've been talking about, uh, the portion that's for the Lord is 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits, somewhere between eight and nine miles uh, in size on each side. And then on each side of that, going over to the Black Sea and over to the Mediterranean Sea, is a portion that is given to someone called the prince. And we've been seeing him mentioned um, a couple of times so far. We'll see him again today that he is in charge of providing the animals and the grain and the oil for the sacrifices that are offered in the temple on the Sabbath and on the new moon festivals and apparently um, we'll look at it today um, all the different festivals that take place in the land of Israel Um, we talked also last week we looked at where God is calling for justice in the land of Israel and we've got to remember as we look at Ezekiel we're only looking at the land of Israel in the Millennial Kingdom Uh, while this book is clearly about the millennial kingdom starting in chapter 40 Um, we only see what happens inside the boundaries of israel what's going on outside of the land of israel we don't know Uh, we're given some hints in scripture but nowhere are we given an exhaustive uh, description of what's happening as we are in ezekiel which is only what takes place in mainly the temple and then in the land around the temple so um, this isn't true across all the planet so god calls for justice in the scales the way they would trade with one another and then we saw that he he calls for that in three different areas in the dry measure which would be the bushels and those types of things in the liquid measure which we were talking about would be in Um, gallons or liters that we use today and then also in weight where he's using the shekel not as a piece of money but as a certain weight that's given and then God detailed for them um, how much offerings they were supposed to give and you remember these are a little surprising in their size they're not the tithe that was talked about in the Old Testament but of their wheat and their barley they're to give 1.67%. Of their oil, they're to give 1%. And then of their sheep, 
they're to give a half a percent, one of every 200 sheep. So the numbers are a lot smaller than what we think about today. Um, but I think one of the reasons for that is that Israel is super abundant in the crops and the animals and the people. Uh, the land is um, blessed beyond measure in the millennial kingdom. So there's a lot of people and there's a lot of offering and <clears throat> even that small amount, as we'll see in the festivals and in the Sabbaths and all, is a lot of animals. And so um, anyway, those are the, the precision that God is giving um, in, this cha in chapter 45 shows us that he's concerned about the details and that he wants things done exactly in the land of Israel as he describes them here, which is why he's given so much detail. And so we'll pick up today in verse 18 of chapter 45, kind of where we left off last time. In this section to the end of the chapter, um, well, almost to the end, talks about the festivals that are to be celebrated. And these festivals are different um, in number um, than what you have in the Old Testament that was detailed. If you want to read about those sometime, you can go to Leviticus 23, which gives you all of the details about the six festivals that were supposed to happen in Israel each year. And um, so here, this is kind of contrasting to that. Um, let me just read through it and then we'll talk about it. Starting in verse 18 of chapter 45, thus says the Lord God, in the first of the, in the first, on the first of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood from the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the house, on the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and on the posts of the gate of the inner court. Thus you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who goes astray or is naive, so you shall make atonement for the house. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. On that day, the prince shall provide for himself and for the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. During the seven days of the feast, he shall provide a burnt offering to the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams without blemish on every day of the seven days, and a male goat daily for a sin offering. He shall provide a, as a grain offering an ephah with a bull, an ephah with a ram, and a hen of oil with an ephah. In the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, at the feast he shall provide like this seven days for the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. So these are the festivals. And if you go through and you look at the details, there are four of them. Okay, you have the one at the beginning of the year, which is the New Year festival. That's different than the Old Testament. They didn't have that festival in the Old Testament. And then you go to the festival of Pentecost, and then you, I'm sorry, of Passover, and then you have the unleavened bread, which are back to back. And then in the seventh month of the year, 
you have um, the, um, sorry, um, in the seventh month, you have um, went in reverse order of what I had it written down of the um, the Feast of Booths. Okay, so you have four festivals in this millennial kingdom. In the Old Testament, you had six festivals. Okay, and those festivals were the um, in order the Passover and then the unleavened bread, and then Pentecost, trumpets, atonements, and booths. So the three that are missing from the millennial kingdom are that of the, um, of the uh, Passover, and the unleavened bread, and booths. And so the question would naturally arise in your mind, why are those three festivals detailed in the Old Testament but not celebrated in, in here in the Millennial Kingdom? And so as you think about those, <coughs> the, the things they foreshadowed or the things that they look forward to have been fulfilled by the time you get to the Millennial Kingdom. If you think about them, um, the festival of the Passover was, um, well, all three of these things commemorated things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament as they came out of Egypt. The Passover was obviously when the death angel came and took the firstborn of the Egyptians. It passed, o passed over the houses where there was blood on the doorposts where the Israelites had sacrificed a lamb and put his blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And so that was the Passover. The unleavened bread was back to back with the Passover and it remembered, or it was for them to remember that they had to leave Egypt in a hurry. And so they didn't have time to let the uh, yeast um, caused the bread to rise, they had to leave, and so they, um, the bread was unleavened, and so they celebrated that for seven days. And then <clears throat> the trumpets, um, which are not in the New Testament, um, celebrate, um, I guess, God's provision for the people as they were wandering in the desert for 40 years, that he provided manna, he provided water, he provided the things that they needed to continue in life. And, and so these, these festivals um, remember things that have been fulfilled in, in the New Testament, or by the time you get to the um, into the millennial kingdom. Um, obviously, the Day of Atonement, <clears throat> which is one of those that's removed, remembers um, it was for the atonement of the people. It was the day in which the priest would go in and go before the altar of God in the Holy of Holies and happened once a year and it was for the atonement of the people. Well, clearly that foreshadowed 
what Jesus Christ would do on the cross in offering atonement. And so by the time you get to the millennial kingdom where Christ is reigning, there's no need for a day of atonement because the sins of the people have been atoned for. And then you, um, sorry I'm confused this morning. Um, and there's, there's no day of atonement anywhere that we've been through Ezekiel mentioned. So that aspect of atonement certainly is remembered, but the actual um, looking forward to it is complete. And then you, um, there's no day of Pentecost. And if you think about what Pentecost foreshadowed was what happened on the first Pentecost after Christ was sacrificed, that is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And clearly when you get to the Millennial Kingdom, as we've seen, the Holy Spirit is in all those people in Israel whom God saved. We saw that back in um, previous chapters, in chapter 46, where the people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Even those Israelites um, are filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's no need um, for Pentecost because the Holy Spirit has come, and that's already clearly been fulfilled. And then the Feast of Trumpets was at the end of the final harvest, and people have different views on what the Feast of the Trumpets actually signified. It could um, be that, um, it could be the final revelation of God, which would be the New Testament scriptures that we have that have been fully revealed or it could be um, that which Joel talks about, the last fruits in the last days, meaning all the people whom God was going to save have been saved by the time you get to the millennial kingdom. So either one of those, uh, the ways that you look at them, have been fulfilled by the time you get to the millennial kingdom. So those three festivals, um, those of, um, of the Day of Atonement, of Pentecost, and of the trumpets are not in the millennial kingdom. Those have been ceased. Those are the three that are dropped. And so the ones that are there signify things that we still celebrate. We celebrate them today. They'll be celebrated in the millennial kingdom. The other three have been stopped because they've been fulfilled by the time you get to the millennial kingdom. Now, the, um, the Passover and the unleavened bread, which are still in the millennial kingdom, you, you think about that, and we've talked about this, the, even the sacrifices themselves are not um, effective for salvation or for the forgiveness of sins, but they're rather to commemorate the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave. And so they're still celebrated to focus people's attention on um, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave and that people will do homage before him as he sits on the throne of David in the city, which is Jerusalem, that we've talked about a couple of weeks ago. So um, those two are celebrated. And then you have one that's added just in front of those, which is the new year. 
And I really don't know why the New Year is celebrated. And if you think about it, those three festivals are almost in succession. The New Year starts on the first day of the first month, and it lasts for seven days. So the first through the seventh is that one. And then um, the Passover is on the 14th of the first month, only seven days later. And then the unleavened bread is the seven days after the Passover. So in the first 21 days of the year, you have 14 of those that are three of these festivals that are to be um, honored and where God is to be praised and where he's to be worshiped. And we'll see exactly how that's done as we go on down through this. So out of the first 21 days of the year, um, 14 of them are these festivals, actually 15 of them. And then you would have another fe uh, pass, uh, Sabbath in there somewhere. So 16 of the first 21 days are these fe are special days for the Lord. And then the last one doesn't come, the, that of booths doesn't come until the middle of the seventh month of the um, of the of the calendar and you you know this but you have to remember it that the jewish calendar that in the millennial kingdom also is based upon the phases of the moon which is why the new moon is one of the festivals so their whole calendar is oriented around the changing of the moon which is why their year only has 360 days not 365 and a fourth like ours does and so as you and we'll see this in daniel as you get into daniel and you start talking about weeks and you start talking about um you know 49 weeks and those you have to you have to remember that a jewish year is 360 days not 365 like ours if you use 365, you get all convoluted, especially when you start talking about hundreds of years. So um, anyway, and that's true in the Millennial Kingdom, um, that the phases of the moon are important in the worship of God. And we'll see that as he, as he goes on down through here in chapter 46. But the, the whole issue here at the end of chapter 45 is that the things that have been fulfilled are no longer celebrated in the millennial kingdom and those that commemorate or look back to what Jesus Christ did are still celebrated in honor of him and in honor of what he has done so um, there's a lot of different interpretations about that um, but I think it's pretty clear by the three that he dropped um, of what God intends and why he dropped those three in the millennial kingdom. It's, it, it just makes sense from where um, history will be when you get to the millennial kingdom and what has been fulfilled and what is yet still future. Okay, so I think that's um, what's going on at the end of chapter 45. If you look at um, those verses we read, 22 through 25, it's very clear that the prince shall, prov shall provide for himself, shall provide for himself and all the people of the land. So the prince is the one who is bringing 
these animals for sacrifice. He, he is prominent in the millennial kingdom. You remember we talked about he has a lot of land, um, 45 miles in width and nine miles or so in depth. So he needs all this land to store all this grain, to store all the animals, because as we saw back in verse 16 of this chapter, the people don't take their offerings to the priests as they did in the Old Testament time. They bring them to the prince who then stores them and then brings them into the city for the sacrifices. So this prince is kind of the storehouse of all these goods that are going to be used that God commands. And, and we saw it here. He commands uh, sacrifices, lots of them, over each of those seven days. And so there are a lot of animals being sacrificed during these, um, these uh, both feasts and now in chapter 46, we'll see the details of um, the special days, the Sabbaths and also the new moons. So we'll go on and go there and begin to look at chapter 46 as um, we go through these details of these sacrifices. And one thing I wanted to say to you this morning, I appreciate your, your willingness to persist through these verses in Ezekiel. Um, we're going through them because as we've seen, your perspective of the millennial kingdom, I hope, has been changed to agree with what scripture says and not the things that are so often talked about today that are not based on scripture, that people have these, um, what they think is going to be true in the millennial kingdom that the scriptures contradict. And so any place you find your thoughts about the millennial kingdom not agreeing with what scripture in Ezekiel says, then you must discard what you previously thought. And you must be changed to think the way that the scripture presents the, the millennial kingdom. And I mean, I grew up in church also, and I was taught a lot of things that are gonna be true in the millennial kingdom that this book of Ezekiel says not so much. You know, it's not the way that I personally was taught, and I believe probably most of you were taught if you grew up in church. Um, it's just not, people don't study the book of Ezekiel. They should, because then they would change the way they think about the millennial kingdom. And as we've said, life goes on. There are people being born, people dying. Um, in the land of Israel, there's divorce. Uh, you know, everything's not perfect, as a lot of people picture what is going on in Israel. I mean, the, all the Israelites are redeemed, they're saved, but they're still human, so they still sin, just like you and I still sin today, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us and we've been redeemed and we've been born again, yet we still sin because we're still trapped in our humanness. That's true for these people in the millennial kingdom. And then over the whole world, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. You see that by the war at the end of the millennial kingdom, them coming against a fight against the king of the creation again. And so it's not the way that a lot of people talk about it. 
the, the church, I believe, is ruling over the rest of the world. So there is a level of righteousness and there's a level at which um, evil is suppressed, but it's not complete. People still don't believe in Jesus Christ. People still um, sin. And so it's just, there is a level of righteousness, but it's not perfectness. It's not the eternal kingdom like it will be when we're with Jesus Christ in the eternal kingdom, then there will be perfect righteousness. That's not true during the millennial kingdom. Go ahead. Do you think that some of the other teachings about the millennial kingdom, like the renovation of earth, that the lion shall lay down for the lamb, all yeah. There is a measure in which the creation is changed. Certainly the topography of the, of the planet is changed. And that all happens during the revelation years. And there are, uh, but there are still kingdoms around the earth. But there is a level of change, even as you said, as the lion lays down with the lamb, the uh, child will play by the cobra's nest that is in Isaiah, there is a level in which the creation has changed back towards what it was in, the, in Eden in the, in the, at the beginning of the creation. But it's not complete. It's not total. It's not um, perfect like it was when God first created it. You know, will, thorn, will uh, roses still have thorns? I don't know, because the scripture doesn't tell us. But there's a level of righteousness that is over the whole planet. There is peace for sure. There are no wars during the millennial kingdom. And so that in itself would be a drastic change from what we see today where the, all the nations are um, up in arms with one another. That won't be true because those nations will be ruled by righteous people, not righteous people, righteous people who have been changed and are in their uh, eternal bodies. But it's not perfect, as I was taught it was. It's not. And, um, and, and there's still things going on. There's, some of that will be revealed here as we go through um, chapter 46. So, but I did want to express just a, a thanksgiving to you for putting up and going through this, because it's detailed and it takes a while, um, but it's worthwhile. So I can't remember how many weeks we've been in Ezekiel, but I know it's 20 or more, um, but it's, it's worth. And next week you get a treat as we see a new river that's been created that kind of blows your mind, uh, that flows out of the temple and ultimately goes into the Dead Sea. We'll see that next week. But here in chapter 46, this chapter describes the offerings that are be, to be provided during the festivals and the Sabbaths and the new moons. Um, they, and they tell us a little bit more about the prince. So let's just read the first three verses of 46. Thus says the Lord God, the gate of the inner court facing east shall be shut the six working days, but it shall be opened on the Sabbath day and open on the day of the new moon. The prince shall enter by way of the porch of the gate from outside and stand by the post of the gate. Then the priest shall provide his burnt offerings and his peace offerings, and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate and then go out 
but the gate shall not be shut until the evening. The people of the land shall also worship at the doorway of that gate before the Lord of the, on the Sabbath and on the new moons. Okay, so a couple of things strike me here. You notice that it says in, in verse 1, the gate shall be shut the six working days. So the Sabbath in the millennial kingdom is a day of no work, just like it was in the Old Testament. Now, we don't celebrate the Sabbath today because we feel there's no day different than another day. And so we're not Sabbatarians and we don't worship that way. Um, but in the millennial kingdom, God calls for what he called for in the land of Israel, six working days and then a Sabbath. And I mean, there it is detailed for you where it says there will be Sabbaths. And on that Sabbath day, they'll open the Eastern gate. And you remember that's the gate that God went through when he went into the temple where God the Father dwells during the millennial kingdom. He's in the nave and then the Holy of Holies, which is the sanctuary. And he got there by going through the East Gate. You remember the vision that Ezekiel had, the third vision that he has in the book of God coming back into the temple. And the priests go in there with him and offer, you know, it says they offer near to the Lord, meaning they're there with him in that um, sanctuary. So this gate is open, but the prince cannot go through the gate. Remember, he enters by the porch and he goes up and he sits before the gate and he offers his sacrifices. I assume the animals walk through the gate and the priests take those sacrifices and they offer them. And he's making sacrifice not just for himself, but for all the people. And so the prince goes up there and, and he does what he does and then he leaves. But all the people stand near to that gate and worship the Lord on the Sabbath. So now they all couldn't be there at one time. So you assume that people are coming and going as they worship the Lord on the Sabbath. But then at the end of the day, that gate is closed. And the only other time that it's open other than the Sabbaths, we'll see there's a couple of times, but here in this passage um, is for the new moon. Because again, the moon orders the worship of God in the land of Israel. It always has, and it does in the millennial kingdom. And if you think about the new moon, you know what day, day that is, right? That's when the moon gets between the sun and the earth, and so you can't see it. So it's the day when there is no moon. And so these are the darkest nights of the year. And you gotta, you know, if there's no city nights like what we're used to, it's pitch black dark. Um, because this is the new moon. And so it's a special day. It's a day in which they're to honor God. It's a day in which they're to bring sacrifices before God and the gate is opened. Now you would think occasionally that day corresponds to a Sabbath, but most of the time not. And so I think there are, I think there are 51 new moons. Sorry, yeah, there are 51, that's not right. There, there are 13 new, <coughs> new, moon, <excuse> me, <coughs> new moons each year, and then there are 51 weeks in the Jewish calendar. 
So if you don't count those that correspond, this is done 64 times a year. So it's pretty often that they're doing that. And we haven't seen the animals that are, well, we did see one of the animals that are sacrificed here, but there are a lot of sacrifices that go on in the millennial kingdom. You keep on looking down to verses four through eight, and you see the animals enumerated. The burnt offerings which the prince shall offer to the Lord on the Sabbath shall be six lambs without blemish, and a, six lambs and a ram without blemish. And the grain offering shall be an ephah with the ram, and the grain offering with the lambs as much as he is able to give, and a hen of oil with an ephah. On the day of the new moon he shall offer a young bull without blemish, also six lambs, and a ram which shall be without blemish. And he shall provide a grain offering, an ephah with the bull, and an ephah with the ram, and with the lambs as much as he is able, and a hen of oil with an ephah. When the prince enters, he shall go in by way of the porch of the gate and go out by the same way. So you see all these animals that are being sacrificed. I mean, you're talking about seven animals at least, and then on the new moon you have additional animals that are offered before the Lord every Sabbath day. And so this is why the, the prince needs so much land to keep all these animals. I mean, this is a lot of animals, and this doesn't even include the festivals. This is just what gets offered on the Sabbath and on the um, new moon. And there are additional sacrifices that happen every day that we get to at the end of the chapter. So there are sacrifices going on in the temple all the time. And none of them are effective for the forgiveness of sins, just as they weren't in the Old Testament. What they all do is they honor God. They commemorate what Jesus Christ did and they honor the Father. It's to draw attention to life itself comes from God. And these sacrifices are what he prescribes to honor him and to worship him. And they're not effective for salvation because the Day of Atonement has been done away with in the Millennial Kingdom because Jesus Christ has atoned for all the sins of all those who ever placed faith in him. And so that day is done away with. And so clearly they're not for atonement, but they're to honor the Lord and what he prescribes to worship him. That's why these sacrifices are ongoing. And they're all, they're all done through the vision or the opening of the Eastern Gate, which is the Lord's Gate. No one else goes through that gate. And so it draws attention to who he is as the ruler of all creation. So we have all these animals, and I counted it up. It's somewhere more than 450 animals that are sacrificed every year on the altar. So this, and, and that doesn't include the daily sacrifices. That's just the festival. I mean, that's just, and it doesn't include the festivals. That's just the Sabbaths and the new moon. There are also other animals offered every day as we see a little later on. Now, notice verses nine through 11. This just seems interesting to me. But when the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed feasts, that's those four feasts that we saw previously. 
He who enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate, and he who enters by way of the south gate shall go out by the north gate. No one shall return by the way of the gate which he entered, but shall go straight out. When they go in, the prince shall go in among them, and when they go out, he shall go out. At the festivals and the appointed feasts, the grain offering shall be an ephah with a bull and an ephah with a ram, and with the lambs as much as one is able to give, and a hen of oil with an ephah. Okay, so the question becomes, right? Why do they go in the south gate and go out the north gate? You remember there is no western gate, and the eastern gate is reserved for the Lord. So they go in the north gate, you gotta come out the south gate. If you go in the south gate, you gotta come out the north gate. Why? To have order. I mean, think about land of Israel. All the people are called to come to these festivals in this one temple, which is not huge. And so you've got all these people who've got to go through this uh, worship of the Lord. And if they tried to go in and come back out, not, there'd be great confusion, right? So they go in and parade and keep going, going out, and then they come from this side and they do the same thing. And you go in the temple, you worship the Lord, and you go out of the temple. Because everybody's got to get through on these days of the festival. And so there's order. And this is where the priests that are not the, Z the Zadokian priests, but all the other Levites are helping the people stay in, <coughs> stay in, stay in order to march, if you would, through the tabernacle so that <coughs> everybody can get in and can get out. And so there's order. And you notice, this is why we say the prince is, is a human being, is someone who is special and prominent, but yet is still among the people because he does the same thing on the festivals. He walks in with the people and he walks out with the people. Now he's there to give leadership and to show the people how it's done, <clears throat> but he goes in and out with the people. Like yeah, I mean, it's orderly. It's so everybody can get through. And so, I mean, it's prescribed right here in the scripture. It's not the way you think about it, right? Everybody goes into the temple and has a good time. No, they go in and they go out so that everybody can get through on, on these festivals. Because on the festivals, everybody from all the lands comes to the place of central worship. Now, I, I couldn't, I can't make a distinction here. I don't know if the people bring sacrifices with them or it's just the prince. It's not, it's, clarity is not given here. So the people may actually bring sacrifices on these days, I'm not sure. Um, it, it doesn't give us that, or at least the way I read it, it's not clear to me. But there is order and things are being done in very prescribed ways. Now, there, in verse 12, there's another time when the eastern gate is opened, I think it's here in 12, yeah. And this is a different offering from all of those that are prescribed by God and really commanded by him. Verse 12, when the prince provides a free will offering, a burnt offering and a peace offering as a free will offering to the Lord, 
the gate facing east shall be open for him. And he shall provide his burnt offering and his peace offerings as he does on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out and the gate shall be shut after he goes out. So there's these occasions when the prince simply says, I want to give an offering to God that is not commanded. I just want to honor him. And so he comes into the tabernacle, goes through the outer gate, brings his animals with him, goes up to the eastern gate, and they open the eastern gate for the prince. It's not a Sabbath. It's not a new moon. It's no special day. It's just he desires to honor the Lord. And who knows how often he does this? Um, we don't know. He's just doing it out of his free will. He's bringing with him all the sacrifices, and apparently he goes through the gate, unlike he does on the Sabbaths or the new moon. And he offers his sacrifices to the priests, and then he goes back out of the gate, and they close the gates behind him. And only he gets to go in through like that. Now, all the people can bring free will offerings. We saw that previously, that if they want their houses to be blessed, a special blessing, then they can bring to the priests in the lands of the priests and give to their households. They can give them grain, they can give them animals, they can give them whatever they want to, and God will then bless their households. We saw that previously. So not just the prince, but anybody can give a free will offering. They just do it in a different way than the prince does. Okay, but here clearly, you have the prescribed offerings, but then there's also still the free will offering. You do it because you want to, because you want to honor the Lord. Now, I believe they desire to honor the Lord and all the others, but this one's special. Okay? I had intended for us to get all the way through this chapter. Um, well, I think we can. Give me just a couple of minutes, because, um, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stop because 13 through 15, I think, are important, where we look at more sacrifices. So we'll finish. I, I really think we'll only be in Ezekiel two or maybe three more weeks, and then we'll be done with the study of Ezekiel and we'll go elsewhere. And I think we're gonna go um, to Daniel, chapter one of Daniel, and then we'll walk through Daniel. And I'll just tell you up front, Daniel will take a year to go through. This has been 40 weeks and we started, this has been what I call the land plan of God. This is only about the land that he originally promised to the patriarchs. And we started all the way back in Genesis and went through Genesis and Deuteronomy and um, Joshua and looked a little bit at Judges, went and looked at the Kings and then went to Ezekiel where we had Nebuchadnezzar and all that that destroyed the, the land of Israel and then we went into the millennial kingdom. And so we've been through all that. This is the God's plan and we've been fairly exhaustive, I think, about the land all the way back from Genesis. And this is God's plan for the land of Israel that he promised to the patriarchs. And we've been very detailed and scripture has been very explicit that this land is special. And God is jealous for this land, and the millennial kingdom will exist on the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think the scriptures are very clear on that. So, but if you haven't been here, you can go all the way back. It's all on the web. 
and go through those 40 lessons if you have the patience to. So, um, but we've been very detailed. And um, I think we'll be out of Ezekiel in the next two to three weeks. And then we'll go to Daniel, where Daniel starts, writes about things that are yet future at the time in which he writes them. And are yet, I believe, future for us today. But we'll go through all that, and it'll take a year um, for us to do that. This has taken 42 weeks, so it's not, a year is not that long, right? Thanks for your time.